0: Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain, Bradley Burroughs, and guests.
1: Welcome to the NZ Tech Podcast. This is episode number 52. This is our special wrap-up of the Consumer Electronics Show 2012 that took place in Vegas over the last few days. I'm very pleased to be back in the studio with Brad... And Skip, how are you doing, guys? Good. Welcome back. You look uh, tired, jet lagged, sore, but good. Yeah, feeling good. It's great to be. It's great to be back. It really was an amazing week, and there, there were just so many things that happened. So I hope we can capture a little bit of the essence of. Uh, some of those, some of those extra elements of CES that we haven't covered on the uh, the previous shows. Of course, episode uh, forty nine was our, our first episode covering some of the smaller startups and some of the early uh, activities and interviews that uh, that I covered uh, at CES in Vegas. Uh, episode fifty was our usual uh, Tuesday night uh, show. That was sort of recorded uh remote, and of course we had uh episode fifty one covering the uh the the opening and the the really the first uh full day on the show floor of activities and this wrap up show will uh, will cover the the remainder so uh yeah it should be should be a good one now, I'd just like to say
2: paul you've done a remarkable job for the one man show that you have been over there effectively. And I don't know how you manage to get half these interviews. Yeah, you, you I I honestly skip and I've back in the New Zealand studio here just listening to Hours and hours of Paul Spine interviews, and you've had some absolute stunning interviews. Oh, Now, no, don't forget the emails we've been getting. Oh, I just met with so-and-so. Oh, I know. I mean, it's been like a flood of name-dropping. It is. For it's the, been incredible. So you have your you have your TMZ websites where they're oh, Isis or Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolene, and our geek world <laughs> of podcasting, it's been, I've just seen Leah LaPorte, and,
1: uh, and we're like, oh my goodness, so you've done awfully well for yourself. It was a good time. I think, uh, you know, any event like this, there there are going to be the, uh, you know, there are going to be so many people and there are so many things to see. Very, very hard to work out actually how to balance your time, what things to look at, what things to go to. Uh, but, you know, I think... Um, you know the the result is we we've, we've managed to connect with some interesting people, and you know I hope the uh, the the shows have ended up being a a good mix of content that 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 uh, um, our listeners you know have come to enjoy, and that this is um, you know something maybe we can do again in the future. But it was definitely worthwhile going and being a part of um, of CES rather than just sort of looking at it online. Because I often you know I often say sometimes you can actually report better on event not being there, being able to catch all the things online because of all the running around that you actually do being at the event in person. But in in this case, I have to say it was well worth being there on on the show floor and a lot of those sort of one-off events and so on. I don't think the New Zealand media would have got
2: uh, a lot of the startup and the uh, smaller crowd information that we got over the last couple of podcasts. Um, if it wasn 't for someone like you actually going there and digging around, so I think it 's been hugely beneficial for us to go and explore i mean i 've i 've found companies that i 'm actually hooking up with just to see what they do i mean there 's just been some great information come through so Paul, great job, and on top of it, you were also sick on one of the days as well so um
1: I think International Trooper of the Year Award goes to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks very much for that. I mean, I have covered a lot of events in the the US in the past over over the years in in various forms. Uh, You know, a lot of them in previous years uh, with WorldDJ.com covering things like the the Winter Music Conference in, in Miami. So I'm used to the crazy hours and just, you know, so many things going on. Uh, but you know, I mean, this this was the most unusual event. Just the <laughs> sheer size of it, having that hundred and fifty thousand um, or so uh, people uh, there on on the ground for it, and uh, and just so many things going on. So, yep, loved it. Now let's uh, let's dive in and uh, and chat through some some of the other things that we saw, and uh, and and jump into the interviews as well. So the first interview we're gonna feature, uh this is with Sean Cassidy from Sony and I spent I spent a lot of time looking at CES around what was happening in the TV space. Now we had uh Samsung, of course, who was showing off their OLED screens. Now this is the this is the, the technology that we've seen. Uh, really in our smartphones, that's now scaled up to full size TV. So that you know, we talk about these um, super AMOLED screens, and this is a very that that the best and the brightest smartphones have, uh, particularly from Samsung. And you know what what we saw from Samsung was that, that you know they've scaled that up to the fifty five inch uh, type size now. Beautiful, beautiful screens, uh, but now we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna dive into this interview with uh, with Sony. We talk a little bit about some of their technology, and they had some technology demos on display of products that aren't out yet, and that was that was cool to see in person. Right across to uh, this discussion with Sean Cassidy. We're just looking at the new Crystal LED displays, fifty-five inch uh, display. Sean, tell us a little bit about this, and uh, when this is available.
3: Um, well, what's really nice about Crystal LED is this. You know, when we talk about LCD and other products, we talk about, you know, substrates and panels and color filters and layers. Um, this is a straight LED product. It's a, the only, it's a true LED product. So it takes 2 million pixels, right, to make 1920 by 1080. So if we were to pull the front off of this, by the way, what do you think of the picture?
2: Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. It's, yeah.
3: Impressive. it's very gorgeous. So if I were to pull the front off of this, you would actually see 6 million LEDs. We have a red, a green, and a blue LED for each pixel. So what does that mean? Wide color gamut. It looks natural. Um, because the LEDs themselves are creating the image, now response time is in microseconds. It's very, very fast. So when you see fast motion, it's going to be crisp, it's going to be clear, it's going to be lifelike, there's not going to be artifacting, judder. So it's, 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 a, it's a beauty unto itself in that way. And then of course when we talk about contrast, it's LED technology, we can turn those pixels off to get black. But yet we can still keep detail. You know, there's nothing worse than crushed black. You might as well not be watching, to either, watching it at all if it's crushing black. So this is going to give you the best contrast. It's going to give you the best brightness, the, the best energy efficiency, uh, color the works. Um, and uh, since it is, is, it, it we'll be able to eventually make it in very large sizes. Um, it's a technology display at the moment. It's not a product, but that's kind of what we come to CES for, right? To see stuff way before everybody else does. That way when it comes out, we're like, yeah, I already saw that. So this is uh, really where, but the, the engineers they're, they're wrapping their minds around as far as all you know coming attractions for uh, technology for television. Well, that's pretty impressive.
1: So you're talking uh, about six million LEDs in there. Is, it, is that right? That just is pretty hard to fathom, actually.
3: Yeah, six million LEDs. When they told me, it's like I'd love to see it. I mean, they the, the, just the, the, um, the scope of that is, is mind-numbing. Yeah, it, it'll smash your brain. Yeah, it's awesome.
1: Cool. That's really cool. Now, um, across from here, you've got the um, uh, also the demos of the forty-six inch uh, glasses-free three uh, D TV. That stuff's looking pretty cool as well. Um, is that far off from market? What, what's the uh, what's the situation with glasses-free TV
3: from Sony? Uh, we're, we're still looking at a technology demonstration. Um, you know, people. Uh, that's one of their big inquiries with three D is when are we going to be able to do it without glasses? Now we make we we make products uh, with glasses that makes beautiful picture but if that's what the customer wants we're working on it so again we're still a technology display uh what you're looking at when you when we're over there is a a 4k panel and then to do 3d without glasses it's 1920 by 1080 um so yeah we're kind of giving people a glimpse into what's next in 3d for sony
1: yeah I mean that's uh, just the one I looked at there, it, 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 it seemed um, to operate a little bit better than one of the other ones that we uh, we had a look at here on the show floor, um, maybe a little bit of a headache but I, I think you'd probably have to use it a bit longer to know whether that was just that I was tired from walking the show floor or not or, uh, or whether there are some, some technology hoops to jump through there I suppose.
3: Oh, well, you know, it all depends. Again, it could be I've I've stood in front of it all day and and stared at it, and so far, no problems. Uh, It's, um, you know, we make 3D. Sony isn't just a TV company, a a Blu-ray company, a headphone company, a camera company. We make the movies in 3D. We we make 3D games. And we also have, uh, in partnership with two other companies, we have 3Net, which is our own 3D uh, TV network. So, yeah, we know how to make 3D look great. And uh, that's 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 a big step towards Glassless.
1: Cool. We'll look forward to uh, to seeing that one uh, that one come through, and uh, yeah, pretty impressed also with the uh, glasses-free uh, 3D VIO uh, uh, demo there as well with the face tracking the and face so tracking,
3: on. Yeah, that's very very cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm not the computer guy, but I tell you right now, that impressed the heck out of me. I was watching it; it was track. It, it does a really good job of tracking. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of 3D content on the Internet. There's a lot of 3D content. If you have an all-in-one piece like that where you can throw a Blu-ray player in it, you might as well have it in your computer as well, you know. Again, you're helping me out here. Again, that's the 3D story of Sony. We touch every part of 3D, including in our VIO computers.
1: Cool. All right. Well, thanks very much for your time, uh, Sean. Anything else uh, that we should be uh, we should be looking out for?
3: Well, you know, we have a new pair of 3D glasses. You were talking about glassless 3D, and one of the one of the, you know some people say that the glasses are kind of heavy. Um, so we've created these new glasses, and uh, I know this is audio, and I'm holding them up, but so you can't see them. But if you go on, on online, you can see them. They weigh about an ounce and a half. Um, when I give them to the people, they're like, oh, you've gone passive. And they get very, very freaked out when we show them that this is an active pair of glasses that only weighs 1.4 ounces. It's made out of titanium, so it's strong, um, it's light, and it's hy- hypoallergenic. Um, all the electronics are in the front, so um, you can bend the arms. Unlike some of my competitors, you bend the arms, you, you're ruining some of their electronics. Um, so far, uh, I think the, the, the sexiest 3D glasses I've seen in, too. So. Yeah, you, you'd, you'd be right on that one. They're
1: definitely the best looking. Th- 3D glasses around at the moment,
3: and they're universal. So um, if you you know you can adjust them for children, they come with two nose pieces, and uh, if they're USB charged, so uh, five five minutes on a charge will give you three hours. Forty minutes will give you uh, about uh, fifteen hours of viewing or seven movies. So yeah, no, this is uh, so until glassless comes out, this is the way to do 3D. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks for your time. That's uh, that's great. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, and uh, enjoy the rest of the show. Thank you. Brad, you, you you would have
1: actually really enjoyed looking at this stuff because I know you you enjoy the uh, the top end uh, TV stuff and and visual things and the the 3D that I saw and the uh, the TV and also the 3D glasses free uh, PC that I saw uh, from Sony there were there was definitely some of the best uh, TV type tech that was on on show uh, at at CES now. I guess when when we look at the overall sort of view on on glasses free three D, I would say that it's it's not quite there yet. And in fact, you know, Sony were even saying that look, this uh, with the bulk of that technology, they were saying, hey, this is just preview technology. We're not launching it. Some of the other vendors did show us products that are uh, launching this year, and some of it was 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 really poor actually i have to say um you know and and so yeah it was good to have that chat one of the things i think you would have really liked was the vio pc which was um you know 3d glasses free with the uh, the eye tracking so you yeah, know you can move around in front of it no glasses and 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 it worked pretty well and that's actually coming to market this year i believe yeah
2: i think the crystal led stuff sounds really interesting for me I, I, i've read a little bit about that stuff before and I think where they're going with getting was it two million pixels behind two, the, two
1: million individual LEDs LEDs behind the screen, you know, rather than the traditional where you've got your big um, you know uh, panel and then you've got you know LEDs uh, maybe providing the backlighting for it is actually every pixel is an LED itself, which is. Uh, it's a pretty hard concept to get your head around, actually, having, you know, and, you know, if the viewers don't understand that, it's like having a light, a, an actual individual light bulb per, um, you know, per per pixel, which yeah. with 2 million pixels on a screen, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, and I mean, we were talking about this off air is that it really
2: comes to a point where the picture quality comes so crisp but you can't you can't unless you line them up next to each other it's really hard to pick them apart so but it's the look this is good for the consumer this is going to be ultra thin ultra light um devices coming through um i think some of the devices that you were twittering about to me were like four or five millimeters thick or something silly like that so yeah looking forward i'm looking forward to the stuff coming out
1: yeah the, the the new samsung uh their their new oled screen that was that was razor thin that was amazing and yeah, you know, I guess it has to be. When you think of it, it's really a scaled-up um, cell phone display, and those things have got to be thin by their nature. Uh, when when you think of you know your, your cell phones are often under a centimeter thick, including batteries and all the other electronics. So um yeah cool stuff now one of the um one of the other ones that i had a look at and this one hasn't this organis- this company hasn't got much uh coverage is we looked at um product from uh stream three d uh sorry stream t v networks and they're an independent company not one of the big t v manufacturers that have been developing their own three d tech uh screen technology that again is glasses free and this one was quite, quite different to all of the rest that I saw. Now I would say, still, in my opinion, it's it's a long way off from what you'll get with glasses. But their story was that this is launching, you know, globally, and and I think the next few months. And yeah, l- listen to the uh, listen to the discussion. Uh, we'll we'll jump into that now with um with uh, Matthew uh, Rutgen.
4: What our team has done is we've developed uh, a glasses-free 3D without glasses and we have addressed all the issues of 3D without glasses. We think it is very competitive with 3D with the glasses and uh, we have fixed all the problems things like viewing angles loss of resolution and depth perception so we give a great viewing experience to the consumer we have a 42 inch and a 55 inch tv with a converter box that it's coming out in q2 that you're going to see all over the world and it will allow you to convert all your 2D uh, content into 3D without glasses as well as 3D with glasses into 3D without glasses and we call the technology Ultra D and we think we've sort of set a new standard for 3D without glasses and uh, the first products you'll see are television sets then you're going to see PCs, laptops, tablets, even phones with our technology and we'll have like a movie download site as well as an app store so you can buy content and watch um, watch it on your devices as well. Well, so
1: that's quite a broad spread you're aiming for there. Now, your situation is quite unique because your technology does seem uh, seem to be quite different to what the mainstream television manufacturers and electronic companies are are releasing into, you know, in terms of the, the Sonys and, and, and Samsungs and the like. How are you geared up to be able to sort of spread yourselves across into that tablet and mobile phone space and so on? Have you, have you got partners sort of lined up?
4: Yep, we're going to be making announcements over the next uh, few weeks and months of different partners around the world who are helping us to distribute these amazing products. Uh, we've timed up. We've teamed up with some multi-billion dollar companies that are absolutely gigantic and have worldwide reach. And so you'll be seeing a lot of uh, announcements but we've sort of leapfrogged the Sonys and the Apples and the Samsungs of the world. And we think we're way ahead of everybody else and uh, we think this is really going to change all the categories and all the devices. And uh, we think it's going to replace not only three with the glasses, but it's even going to replace 2D as well. Interesting. Yeah. Well, certainly uh,
1: have, having a look at the, um, the the prototypes you've got on display here, which I understand are uh, handmade. Um, yeah, they're certainly they're certainly pretty uh, pretty capable, and and that uh, comment about being out of view from, from multiple angles uh, is correct. Are, is there any way you can sort of put into simple terms how
4: the technology works for uh, for our listeners? Yeah, we've developed a set of algorithms that basically take, you know, we'll say a two-dimensional image and then makes a calculation as to what images should be in the front and what images should be in the back, whereas a lot of the technology such as 3D with the glasses, they create a left and right image and rotate it very fast to sort of trick your brain into seeing 3D when it's really not there. So we basically mimic the way your natural eye works, and that way it's very comfortable to watch our content. You can watch movies all day long and not get dizzy or tired. Are overwhelmed, and you're going to find that you prefer this over watching a regular 2D uh, video.
1: All right. well, thanks very much for your time, uh, Matthew. Uh, enjoyed hearing about what Stream TV's uh, doing with Ultra D. That's great. Thank you. All right, thanks a lot. All right, uh, yeah, that was that was good to uh, to hear a little bit from uh, from Stream TV networks. Now, yeah, just um, to to conclude that my experience of the of the 3D was that the it seemed to work from you know it wasn't you had to be in a direct specific location. I, I struggled to actually get my head around how their technology works, uh, but it, it works quite well. What it doesn't give you compared to with glasses is the. Um, the things that really jump off the screen. Um, but in terms of the depth almost seems like um, like it's, you know, you can see things more in the distance, you can tell that they're in the distance, but the things that get really close to you, uh, it's it's not so well-tuned for that. That would be my impression of that one, Brad.
2: Yeah, look, uh, from what I read online and, and been able to sort of research, again, The depth perception, like you said, is the big problem. I mean, with the glasses, you're going to get that that feeling that things are going to hit you in the face, whereas this one's almost like looking, you know those paintings that you look at and you get a little bit of depth going through them? That's what I sort of get the impression it's going to be like. Mm. It's not full
1: 3D, but you are getting some... 3d niche if you like yeah. around it the other thing about this and and you know they did highlight that the panels that were on display had all been hand handmade so there were some um, some difficulties with them but they didn't seem to have the resolution of a lot of the other panels which were going to um, uh, you know eight uh, four times the resolution of um, of a normal HD screen so these new 4k screens as as, they, as they're calling them uh, so um, which are eight eight uh, million pixels scary so yeah so the, and the, so that there's so hey interesting space it's great to see some of these products are coming to market uh but you know i'll leave it up to our listeners when the products do land in, in new zealand to to give their opinion but you know i would say don't have high expectations <laughs> at this stage yep um and and i certainly won't be uh won't 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 be the first to sign up and buy one now, after chatting with the Stream uh, TV guys, uh, we d- there were a number of interviews we did, and we've, we've, tried, to, uh, we've tried to sort of um, cull out those that, um, that weren't so interesting. Uh, but one of the products I found um, was a panoramic camera from Tomargo, So we're going to dive in there and, uh, and chat to um, Stefan from uh, Tomargo.
0: Tomago is a basically a world first. It's the first compact camera that can take 360 images in one click. So it's a little device that's egg-shaped, hence the name Tomago means egg in Japanese. And uh, it's an extremely simple device, but it does a lot. Um, it has a position sensor inside, so if you're oriented pointing up, it'll take a 360 image, and if you... You know, shoot in front of you it'll take a 180 panorama in one click that means you could be skiing down a mountain and you'll get a panoramic image of you skiing on that mountain instead of having to pan and scan like most uh, companies do now.
1: That's pretty cool now with that image um, I can imagine that can be a bit confusing in terms of how you view it um, have you got some, some software tools that allow you to sort of create that big long landscape type view
0: Yeah, well, the software and the applications is all integrated with the Tamago. Uh, It works on any platform, uh, Android, iOS, any computer platform, PC, Mac, whatever. And uh, it's all seamlessly integrated. So uh, with the Tamago, you, you can basically take a picture. It'll wirelessly send the file to your iPhone, for example, and you can browse, zoom, pan, uh, on your phone or on your computer. or any device. What
1: sort of connectivity does the device have? Is it uh, a USB type connection?
0: Well, it, you can connect it three ways. There's a um, Wi-Fi chip, Bluetooth, and if you want to hardwire it, there's a micro USB at the back of it.
1: Well, so it's got three connectivity options. That's pretty good for a, a device that's coming in at, uh, what is it, about 200 US?
0: Yeah, we aim to sell it at a retail price of under $200.
1: Great. When is it coming to market, and what what markets is it going to be available in?
0: It's coming to market uh, end of Q2 this year, and uh, basically the market is the general consumer market. It's The, the aim of this product is to bring the ability to everyone to do panoramic images very simply and there's no stitching, no complicated software it's just you click, have a picture and you can share it on Facebook you can, uh, or any other social media and uh, it's simple. Cool, what sort of resolution is it coming in at? Uh, the image is 14 megapixels so it's a very good resolution for a $200 device
1: yeah, definitely. Okay, that looks good. Do you think there'll be a, uh, a video-type uh, option coming down the track over the next year or two?
0: Most certainly, yes. We're, uh, we're planning on uh, having a video version uh, for next year.
1: Cool. All right, well, uh, we'll look out for that, and thanks very much for that, Stefan.
0: Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you.
1: Cool. Neat product. There actually is a whole lot going on in this panor- panoramic space. Uh, that that was really just one of the many products that were at CES. Some of the other things that I saw were for, were um, and and at the um, at the startup event that I covered on the Sunday evening, I saw an app that runs on the iPad, and what you do is you have to uh, you have to, first of all have to build a panoramic image, and they've got software to help you with that, and then you can hold your iPad. And depending on the direction or the tilt of your iPad, it, it, the iPad is is virtually a window into a panoramic image. So is it like photosynths What Photosynth sort of does, but a bit more sort of but, but gyroscope. Perfect, perfectly smooth yeah. and with a gyroscope. So you imagine if you're if you were. Uh, standing in a dome you know you look up you're going to see the sky you look out you're going to see let's say you're at a beach you're going to see the sand and you're going to see the water in front of you and you you uh, look down you're just going to see the sand right and it works like that you you tilt the you tilt your ipad in a downward direction and in, in one case it was a it was a beach image as though you were in paradise somewhere on a lovely island and you you pointed the ipad down you look down on it and yeah it's a sand, and you just move it around, and it was absolutely smooth, flawless, beautiful. Tilted up, you could see the sky and the palm trees, and so on. And they had different, you know, images and so on that you could go through. Uh, but yeah, quite an interesting concept. They've got some interesting ideas on how they might commercialize this for real estate and, and other things. Uh, but yeah, it was. It was fun. It's like Google View on steroids almost, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's always there are already ways that you can you can take those sort of views, but having it so you actually angle the device and so on was fun. From a practical sort of sense, is that how you're going to want to operate if you wanted to look around something? No, you'd probably actually want to do it on a still screen. Yeah. Uh, but it, it did have a bit of a cool factor to it. So yeah. <laughs> You got yeah. geeked in by it, you did. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Whether uh, that would last longer than... Um, you know the three or four minutes, or maybe it was one or two minutes that I played with it. Um, yeah, maybe not. But hey, we're good. Good to see these new ideas coming through, anyway. Yeah. Now, one of the next
2: interviews that you did was with Cathy um, from the Cubify Systems. Now, this, when I listened to this interview and you did it, I could not believe that some of the rendering time that she mentions in this interview—it's like forty hours to render these three D um, images, if you like. And, oh, that's just a phenomenal amount of effort that goes through and she said there's got to be a warm up a cool down time and you know they use them in the F18 Hornets as well to do the 3D modeling and stuff to and make so- some
1: of the yeah actually make some of those one-off pieces it's and, incredible and, and so on. yeah it's, it's very cool um, yeah this is the chat with uh, Kathy Lewis from uh, uh, talking about Cubify
5: yes what we've launched in cubify.com is really a mashup of iTunes and Facebook where the consumer can go and become a member for free and begin to create and make in 3D almost like a coloring book canvas to support that activity, we're bringing in apps developers who will be able to merchandise their designs and their capabilities along with artists and creatives that will be able to sell their models. Once a consumer actually has a model that they want to print, we're going to help them get to the finished physical product a couple ways. There's the cloud printing service where they can upload their file and say, can you print this for me? And we can print it in the full color, we can print it clear, we can print it in a single color, anything the consumer wants at almost any size. As they become more comfortable with their own 3D printing capabilities, then they can bring CUBE home with them. CUBE is right here in front of us and it is $1,299. That includes the cartridge of material which will print somewhere between 10 to 12 average size models. We're also including with the CUBE the ability to have 50 free downloaded files. The minute you initialize the CUBE, we'll send you files so you know how to print. And each replacement cartridge will be $49.95. And again, you can print 10 to 12 to 15 different models in a color of your choice.
1: Well, that sounds uh, fairly groundbreaking in terms of uh, price point. Now, that's uh, that's a very low-end device. Obviously, the sorts of things that you're talking about in terms of uh, full color and varying sizes and so on um, requires some much more expensive equipment. What is the sort of price range from this one um, at that... At what what comes in probably under two thousand New Zealand dollars? What is uh, uh, what's the sort of the higher end uh, in terms of hardware that you need to use to to produce people's output?
5: Well, as three D systems, we invented three D printing twenty five years ago, and the very first technology was called stereolithography, fondly referred to today as SLA. An SLA machine, fully configured, double wide, that can print a complete automotive dashboard in a single print, will run you up to a million dollars. Okay. In between we've got these selective laser centering machines that do amazing output and those run some from 250,000 to about $750,000. For the professional in their offices, we have a whole range of machines that started about $10,000 and go up to about $200,000. So right now we're breaking glass with this $1299 machine. But behind the scenes on cubify.com, you have access to all seven technologies that 3D Systems has brought to the market. And that's our goal, to get the consumer close to whatever they need, whenever they need it, and not have them be constrained by content or the product in their homes.
1: Great. Now, um, you're US-based. Um, f- as far as the international market's concerned, how does that operate? Can people upload and still get things sent, or do you have uh, places you know, outside of the US you can, uh, you can do the output?
5: Thank you for asking that question, because today, 25 years into our business, over 50% of our income and revenue comes from outside the United States. So rest of the world is very, very important to us. We have production facilities, we have distribution partners, we have installations all over the globe, and we're continuing to extend our footprint so that we're always able to supply to the consumer and the professional alike 24-7.
1: That's very cool. Excellent. Oh, thanks you very much for your time, Kathy. Oh, one last question: How long does it actually take to produce uh, to produce these three D things? I'm I'm sure it varies according to their complexity and so on. But what are the what are the various sort of time lengths from the um, uh, the you know the uh, consumer device? Um, what it can output up to some of the uh, the, the bigger things that you were talking about.
5: You know, the funny thing about this is when you have your own printer at home, your average model is going to be one to two hours. With the heavy-duty printers, sometimes we'll be printing for 40 hours straight to do a model and in some cases there's an additional period of time for it to cool or get prepared so it's interesting where we've been able to take our knowledge and make it faster and simpler in the home than what we do in a professional basis but i kid you not the kinds of things that we build at 3d systems have changed the world for mankind customized hearing aids new ways of straightening your teeth ninety-eight things that are inside a f-18 fighter jet right now that are printed and put into the jet for takeoff you name it, we've printed it, and our goal is to continue to support both the on-demand and use parts model, as well as the consumer opportunity.
1: Right. That, yeah, that was that was fun looking at uh, all sorts of stuff that they've built with their three D printers, and uh, cool that you can actually now just you know send them in and and get things uh, get things made up. Uh, there have been a few companies in New Zealand that have delved into this space i'm not sure what's available now but i know uh neville newcomb uh in auckland who do the uh you know printing copying graphics and so on uh they got into as well as their um uh you know printing on paper and big a1 prints all that sort of stuff into actually 3d printing uh for a while i think what they found was there wasn't a huge demand here in new zealand for it uh but i imagine uh you know this the the likes of these new offerings like cubify uh with quite low pricing open open this sort of stuff up to a broader market now um here in my bag uh Brad, I'll just pull it out I've Ooh, got um, got little uh little toy that I brought back which is uh which has been made up and um yeah it, it was cool just to see some of the um you know little gadgets and bits and pieces everything from key ring holders through to um um, well, there were there were all sorts of little bits and bits and pieces, and it's worth uh, looking these guys up online to uh, to have a look at the the stuff. And yeah, you know, this one I'm, I'm showing sure is just plain white. Uh, and most of the cheaper things that you can get built for you are just a single colour. Uh, but if you if you're willing to spend enough money, these guys will make up all sorts of 3D uh you know 3D things for you so kind of yeah. cool and they're, and they're not just based they do actually ship internationally and In the interview
2: Kathy talks about how i think it's 20 or 25% of her business is coming from worldwide now which is really interesting that it's obviously starting to grow outside the US which is good to see
1: yeah now um there 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 was as I mentioned earlier, there were a lot of interviews that we did during CES, and we're certainly leaving some some of them some of them out of the podcast because I guess one one of the challenges with going to a show like CES is, in most cases, you end up finding yourself talking to a PR person that. Um, just likes to talk and talk and talk about their product, and doesn't—they uh, don't always have anything useful to say. Um, they, but they—they they did vary. Um, so, what I'd like to do now is to jump into interview that we did with uh, with Ryan McGee from Ford Research, and you know, Ryan's got quite a different—you know—a different. You know, a different role he's not a, a day-to-day pr guy he's actually one of the guys out of their r&d labs so it was a real privilege to get to uh get to chat with uh with ryan and uh yeah thanks very much to the the ford new zealand guys for uh helping connect me with uh with ford in the u.s and uh and in, in getting this exclusive
6: chat with uh with ryan I'm I'm based out of uh, Dearborn, Michigan, which is right outside of Detroit, and the area that I work in is is Ford's research and advanced engineering activity, so I'm really working on what's next, three to five, ten years out, thinking about the future and trying to come up with uh, solutions.
1: Wow, that's really cool. Well, uh, you know, we've seen some interesting things on your stand. Can you tell us a little bit about, uh, I guess, what are the, the current uh, things that, that Ford has in your newest cars and in the uh, the EVOS concept car that we were just looking at on, on the stand? And uh, then from that, maybe we can go on and hear about some of the things that are a little bit further out.
6: Sure. Some of the things we have here today, uh, this week at CES, is the Focus electric vehicle just going on sale. It's a pretty fantastic car. Um, My background is actually in uh, electrified vehicles, so I'm particularly passionate about that car. It also comes with uh, connectivity built into the car, so you can use your mobile device to monitor charging to open the doors and so on. Uh, On the other side of the booth, we have uh, what's called AppLink. An AppLink is an extension of our Sync technology. The Sync technology allows you to talk to your car. Um, an AppLink is, takes it to a next level where we're opening up the system to allow other people to write applications for the for the vehicle. So Stitcher, NPR, Pandora all have apps that run inside the car. Um, those are two of the, 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 the main things. The other thing is we're talking about is an upgrade to our MyFord Touch system. Uh, our MyFord touch system is how users interact with their car through a touch screen and the new software we're, we're uh, upgrading this year will help improve that.
1: Great, now um, you, you mentioned about uh, mobile phones being at open the doors and so on and uh, one of the vehicles that, that I tried recently you'd walk, you'd just walk up to the car with a key in your pocket and it would know you could open the door, um, how will that differ, will it mean you won't need a key at all, can you tell us about how that works?
6: Yeah, so my, my, I drive an Explorer. I have this, that, that kind of technology where I just keep the key in my pocket, and when I touch the door, it opens. Um, that's pretty cool. But what this can do is, is, let's say you lock your keys in the car. This is a way that you can say, open my car right now. Um, so it's kind of taking it to a, a new level. Okay,
1: that's cool. Now, um, you talked about uh, MyFord Touch 2, and there's also uh, Ford Ford Sync. Um, Where do those two
6: products sort of sit, and what are the differences? Sure, so Sync's been out for a few years now, and the Sync system is a way for you to um, make phone calls using your voice. You can find MP3s using your voice, so it's really a way of interacting with your car that allows you to keep your eyes on the road and your hands on the wheel. That's our main strategy there. MyFord Touch is uh, more recent, um, the last year or two, where it's a set of LCD screens that the user can use to interact with climate control, navigation, uh, entertainment like uh, um, radio, and then also um, um, uh, the the user's phone. So it's a system that is a way that we interface with the customer. Sync gives you the audio, and MyFord Touch gives you that uh, the tactile.
1: Okay, nice now, uh yeah, tell us a little bit more about what's uh what what's coming up and uh yeah what 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 we what we should expect to uh, to see coming through from uh, from the labs.
6: So I think I think maybe we can start with the Ford Evos concept, which is the showpiece of our, our booth here. And uh, it's just total eye candy. Red hot chilies, it's color, the the, the paint is as as deep, it's beautiful. But it's not just about design, it's about technology. And we're using that as a way to talk about our technology story. And that's what I'm really passionate about is you know what's gonna come next, what's the new technology? And there's there's three areas we're we're highlighting this week. One is about vehicle to vehicle communication, where two vehicles vehicles can talk to each other to improve safety. Uh, the second piece is, is health and wellness. How can, the, how can the car help manage your health and wellness? Because let's face it, people are in their cars more and more every day, and uh, it's becoming a, a, a place where maybe we can use that time to help people uh, interact with their health and wellness management systems. And then the third piece is is a cloud a cloud-connected car. How can we unlock the power of the cloud, bring that to the vehicle, and really improve the way it behaves? Cool, that's
1: interesting. Now, uh, vehicle-to-vehicle communication, um, that sounds like a pretty hard one to tackle because for that to work, in, in theory, you need all vehicles to have it and you need all vehicles to be talking the same language in, in order to get some, some outcome. So how you—how uh, would you be dr- addressing those sorts of issues?
6: Well, you raised one of the number one issues, which is uh, standards is really important. So the automakers are getting together and they've defined a set of common Uh, messages or uh, it's a language essentially so that the cars can talk to each other and I think that's that's probably step one is first we have to agree to a common language the next piece is about equipping vehicles with this right we need a lot of people to have this in place so that we can um, cars can communicate with each other and where the technology is now is we have cars we have technology that we can demonstrate this on and we're starting to investigate what does it look like uh, if this is going to go uh, across the broad range of vehicles, it's, it's a big challenge. And what do you see
1: happening with the advances sort of uh, you know, GPS and location type technologies? What sort of uh, improvements is that likely to bring over time?
6: Well, one thing that we're thinking about is how can we really personalize the vehicle Because when you think about it, if if you, you and I drive a car, we're going to use it in different places. We're going to go different areas. We're going to drive in a different way. And I think we can use this location and geo data to really improve not just sort of can you find your way to the store, but how can you drive along the way. Because if you can imagine... Starting at the bottom of a hill and driving to the top of the hill is a much different trip than starting at the top of the hill and driving to the bottom of the hill. So if we have geo data, we can use that as, as information to improve the operation of the vehicle itself. You know, maybe we can change the way the engine works. Maybe we can change the way uh, we use the electric motor in a hybrid. Those are areas that we're, I think are really going to become important.
1: Great. Now the uh, the vehicle, the uh, hybrid that was launched uh, earlier on in the, in the week, uh, that that was interesting. They were uh, talking about. A um, hundred hundred miles to the gallon, um, I guess, because of the plug-in capabilities, which I think worked out at about uh, two point three five uh, liters per hundred kilometres for for those of us on uh, metric. Um, can you tell us? Do you know a little bit about that technology and and how that works, and, and what we should uh, expect to sort of see uh, of that rolling out into, into other vehicles over
6: time? So the vehicle we launched was the, uh, the Fusion Energy, and it's a plug-in hybrid vehicle. So it's kind of part electric vehicle and part hybrid vehicle. And what you do is you start your trip with a full battery, and then as you drive, you use up your battery. And when your battery gets low, or if, if you're driving in such a way that you need both your motor and your engine on, then the, uh, the powertrain will automatically uh, configure itself to give you the performance you need. And then after you drive and you deplete your battery, uh, it operates just like a regular hybrid vehicle. You're able to uh, collect energy from regenerative braking. Uh, You're able to um, turn the engine on and off and so on. So the plug-in capability comes at the end of the trip, when you get back to where you're going, you can plug it in and recharge it. So what you're doing is essentially uh, using the energy in the battery before you use your gasoline energy. And that's a way to get um, much less fuel usage and potentially use renewable energy uh, from the electrical grid great now uh,
1: one of the challenges with that is being able to plug in having, uh, having access to plug-in power uh, whether it's at home or, or elsewhere are there standards uh, coming along in that space yet is it too early uh, you know should we expect to see inductive charging type technologies where you just pull up at your car park and uh, you know the vehicle could charge inductively what, what, what should be um, coming down the track in, the, in that area?
6: So I think uh, what we're focused on now is we all want to have a a same charging port so that all the vehicles can have the same connection. Because when you go to the gas station, there's not a separate gas pump for each automaker. They all have the same interface. So through the Society of Automotive Engineers, the automakers are getting together and the suppliers to agree on a single interface. Uh, And that's probably the most important thing. There's also different types of charging. There's what we call convenience charging. And that's your basic uh, wall outlet. So when you need to uh, charge your mobile phone or you know plug in a TV, uh, that same electrical uh, connector can be used to charge your vehicle. It takes a lot longer that way, but uh, because it's a lower power, but that's always available to you. So even if there's not a high power connection around, you can always charge your vehicle that way. And then for um, the high power connection, you have a separate box that you install. You know where you're going to charge your vehicle um, that you can then plug in. And our Focus electric vehicle downstairs um, takes about three hours to charge uh, fully uh, using the high power connection.
1: Great. And what's the what's the power draw of that uh, that high powered connection?
6: Uh, it operates at like a 220 volt level. I'm not exactly sure how many kilowatts it is, um, but it. it, it it, uh, it's significantly higher than the low voltage, or the lower voltage one that uh, that we plug in, uh, the convenience charger.
1: Right, and of course, in, in other markets like New Zealand, we're we're already operating on that 220 uh, volt anyway. So does that uh, mean that you don't you don't need uh, something special, or is it a higher um, um, level as well?
6: Yeah, it's a higher circuit because it charges at a much higher power level, so I imagine you can't just plug into a regular outlet, you need a special installation for it.
1: Right, but you'd still be able to uh, charge potentially in in a lower amount of time if you plugged into a wall outlet in New Zealand than, than US, maybe half the time, something like that?
6: You know, I'm not a charging expert. I'm not sure, so I'm not going to give you a, uh, a difference in time. I'm just not sure about it.
1: Okay, that's that's fine. Yeah. All right. Um, so, anything else moving moving forward? Anything else interesting from uh, from Ford that, uh, that that we should be uh, keeping a watch for?
6: You know, I think I think it's not just about the technology you see down here today, but I mean, we're really reaching forward and thinking about what's next. Um, and uh, Ford's just not not just an automotive company. We're really a technology company. And that's why we're here at CES to sort of showcase how automotive and consumer electronics are coming together.
1: Cool. Well, Quite interesting to, to get some insights into, into where the technology's going as far as cars go. And, yeah, I mean, fascinating. I don't know how they're going to pull off this thing of having cars signalling to each other and how you can do that when most of the cars aren't. You know, how long does it take to change out all the cars that are in existence for new cars that chat to each other? Uh, you know, I don't know how important that is in the scheme of things, particularly when we look at, you know, um, driverless cars that exist today. And, you know, of course, you've got the likes of, uh, of Google and so on who have their... Um, you know, vehicles that that um, uh, drive around for mapping purposes, and others doing similar things. What do you What do you think about this?
2: Well, I mean, look at the two Fords we borrowed that Ford New Zealand gave us to borrow, right? I mean, you know, we were having fun that night. We were leading at Parallel Park, but obviously, the technology, the framework's getting built in there where it's understanding what's going on I mean it's got the crash test stuff there it's probably a lot closer than we think in some ways I think that like you said the biggest problem is getting that critical mass and all other te- pieces of technology out there
1: yeah and, well and, if they're gonna yeah. talk to each other you've, you've got to wait a long time but yeah as you said you know the um, you know the the vehicles we tried they had those lane sensors they could tell when you're moving yeah. in and out of their, the crash your lane they could you know they could tell when you're getting too close to a vehicle and you know we we, we tried out uh, you know some of the those sort of features where uh, using a cruise control for instance and you know just watches what's in front of you make sure you 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 know you follow at the appropriate uh, distance uh, if someone's in your way if they're not then uh, you just race off at, at whatever speed you've set so yeah a good a good chunk of that technology is there so I think this will be an area that we're going to follow more and more on the uh, on the New Zealand Tech podcast, and you know we'll be keen to hear feedback from listeners on on their thoughts around the, around this space, and we'll also be looking at other vehicles, and of course. There, there were vehicles that we saw from uh, Mercedes and Audi um, Kia there there are a bunch of players now starting to innovate and uh, really staying at the forefront of technology in, in vehicles so uh, we'll be reporting on more of more of that through the through the year as well now next up we had um, a chance to chat to uh, Greg Sullivan. From Microsoft now he 's uh, involved uh, in the Windows Phone team, so it was good to have a little bit of a, a little bit of a chit chat with him and uh, and get some insights into what 's happening in that space and we asked him you know a range of questions around what 's happening in the international and and so on so let 's uh, jump in with Greg Sullivan now um, here at CES this year it's been uh, it's been really interesting because for the for the past couple of years you know we 've been hearing about Windows Phone uh, but there hasn 't really been a lot of a buzz around Windows Phone to date really until probably the last this last week is really where the, the, the buzz seems to have set off, certainly here in the in the US uh, with uh, Nokia's uh, announcement around the Lumia 900, their first LTE phone, uh, the HTC Titan 2, which is their first LTE phone. Um, how, how's that for you? You've been involved in uh, the Windows Phone business for about five years now, so um, it, it must be a bit of an interesting turn. Um, I, I don't want to
7: seem too surprised, but it's it's certainly a, a, a pleasant uh, uh, happening. There's a tremendous amount of buzz around these around these new phones. Around, I think when we made the Nokia announcement, people were really excited about the possibility of Nokia's hardware design and and the elegant devices that they've built. Bringing that expertise together with the software that we built, which has some of the same characteristics real real thoughtfulness in terms of the design, um, a simplicity and an elegance and a, and a real usability so uh Folks have been excited for over a year now, or about a year now, um, to see the fruits of of that relationship. And so um, when the Lumia 800 came out in Europe uh, at the end of of last year, um, it was very well received and uh, folks were real excited. So that excitement is building, and yeah, this is uh, certainly one of the... um, Talks of the show, and in fact, the uh, Lumia 900 won uh, Best in Show uh, for in the smartphone category at CES this year. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's really uh, it's really exciting, and it's a great start to what we think is going to be a great year.
1: Yeah, oh, congratulations on that Best in Show. That's really cool. Now, um, one one of the conversations, or one of the one of the, I guess the the issues where um, Windows Phone has. Uh, has struggled in the conversation uh in the marketplace has been around around specifications of the uh of the actual hardware uh, one of the things i 'm starting to notice is that uh, uh, the media sort of seem to be and you know this is sort of watching what 's happening with with uh, you know there 's a, a fairly broad range of media covering c s um, they seem to be sort of starting to get that that story that uh, um, the dual core and and some of these other things aren 't actually needed to, uh, to deliver a great device that, that that really works well when when the software's uh, right. Is that, is that something you're starting to see a little bit of a change in as well in terms of the perception once people are seeing, for instance, the Lumia 900 and, and some of these other phones, they realize actually this is gorgeous and it, and it actually re- works really well? Yeah, well, we're certainly trying to, to make the point that um, the, the
7: performance of your smartphone is what you can get done with it and and how quickly you can get that done and uh, uh, and that 's not necessarily directly related to the number of cores and your C- in, in number of CPU cores you have uh, in fact, um, oftentimes in our tests the the only the only result of having multiple cpu cores is your your battery doesn 't last as long so we're we're doing this, a bunch of of things to try and make the point that you should evaluate a smartphone not on uh, a random number that the average person can 't necessarily define but on how it performs, how quickly you can get to the things that you want. How does it let you complete end-to-end scenarios? If you want to uh, book a table at a restaurant and find a good one of a certain type nearby, how does your smartphone, which all of them can, can do that. They can do the discrete steps, right? They can analyze your location, search a database for nearby restaurants, provide mapping directions to it, um, have an application that lets you reserve a table but no other platform connects that in an end-to-end experience the way a Windows phone does. So regardless of how many cores in your CPU, um, uh, it, what's more important is how quickly can you get things done. And that's one of the reasons why uh, my buddy Ben, the PC guy here, has been running this $100 challenge all week at CES. And he's uh, got a Windows phone, and he'll go up to uh, other folks who have other phones and say, and say, hey, what do you like to do with your smartphone? Um, whether it 's you know taking a picture and sharing it with your group of friends and posting it on social networks or uh, whatever and and he 'll ask that question and, and based on the response he 'll uh, challenge the person to a race um, to complete a task on a smartphone and he 's been doing this for several days now, and he did it uh, uh, a whole bunch of times and what he's found is uh well the deal was that if you can beat him you get a hundred dollars
1: oh that's nice that's yeah. nice yeah it was uh, it was a good you know it certainly got people's attention and, and and can you enter that contest if you've got a windows phone and if you're faster on it than he is you know i i, I don't
7: know if that that's been tested you, um we might want to check that out <laughs> okay we can and parlay that at the uh, at the at the blackjack table um but in any event, he's, he's been um, getting a lot of attention with this. And, and one of the reasons is, is is that people are beginning to realize that the design of the user experience in the software, in the, in the smartphone itself, how it integrates things, how it brings information to the surface and presents. Um, you know, on Windows Phone, you, you search for a restaurant, we present the, applica- the open table application or another application that helps you reserve. It's, it's a, aware of the context. Um, so Ben's been doing this for a few days and he's had tremendous success. Um, he's, uh, he's had 30 victories and three, uh, three times where he had to pay out the $100. So he was beaten three times. And I guess once of one of them was, was really close. And I think he tied in one. So 34, uh, attempts and the $100 challenge and, uh, and Ben won 30 of them with windows phone. And, um, he's got a real nice windows phone that he's using but it's it's um it's not about the the cores in the cpu part of this is because when we when we launched windows phone we worked with hardware manufacturers to to define a, a very high-end phone it's a it's a quality piece of hardware and it has a set of specifications that will always be high performance um and we've designed the system so that as you install and run more applications it will continue to be high performant and um so that's why we feel confident that, uh, that we can go out and make that challenge. And, and uh, Ben had a whole sack of $100 bills, uh, and he only had to give away a couple of them.
1: Cool. Now, another question. There, there are some Windows phones that I've that I haven't seen here on the on the show, show floor at CES. Um, although they have been sort of flashed around. Uh, one would be the Fujitsu one that was released in the Japanese market, uh, and I think there's also um, Acer and maybe Asus that uh, have been bringing phones to market. Um, where where are those ones at? Do you have any idea on? Uh, on uh, their, their release and so on? I can't, you know, obviously some of that's been released, uh, some of it's still coming through, and do you have any of those here for those of us who haven't seen them?
7: Yeah, I I, I don't know that we have the uh, the Fujitsu phone. Um, we have, um, we're focused on, you know, this is a U.S. show, there's a lot of international attendance, but we, we don't have all of the... Um, Uh, what we call the phone operator pairings, or the POPs. We don't have everything represented in our whole portfolio. We're at the point now where that's becoming a pretty big matrix, and we have a a wide range of devices. And the focus for us, really, on this show has been the new devices um, that we just announced, the the Nokia Lumia 900 and the HTC Titan 2. So we've really been kind of highlighting those uh, this week. Um, But we do have a broad range of devices, and and some of those are limited in terms of their regional availability and not as kind of globally applicable. so they don't necessarily have a, as high a profile, but um, uh, but we're really excited about highlighting these two new phones that we've got this week.
1: Absolutely great phones. Now, one of the things I've seen a little bit of um, discussion online about in in the past uh, couple of weeks has been around um, updates to Windows Phone. Now, this is this is an area where we're in general as an operating system, it streets ahead of Android because every phone you know can get every update update to a point I'm sure there'll be a there'll be a time when older phones aren't supported um, but uh, in the past there was a there was a matrix online that showed you know what was happening with all the different carriers and so on um, now that communication has has changed a little bit uh, is is that something that um, Microsoft is is um, Open to sort of changing it back to how it was, or do you think the way forward we're, we're going to see a little bit less information online around these uh, uh, the availability of these updates?
7: Well, we certainly want to um, be transparent and, and, and let people know what's going on as much as we can. I think the the reason that that table appeared in the first place was because we had some challenges with getting the uh, the Noto release out. The uh, Either, alternatively, the copy and paste or CDMA release—the one that shipped last uh, last spring—and it was a, a pretty protracted time frame, more more protracted than we wanted. And and folks began to um, uh, be anxious and curious, rightfully so, about when that update was coming to their phones. So we started uh, publishing the "Where's My Update" table um, in order to give people a better sense about when they could expect that now in conjunction with that we also the engineering team um really refined and and modified and and worked on our update process how we build and deliver updates um and so they were able to go from a, a situation with with the noto release um that was spanned over over months um before it was fully available to all the phones um, to the Mango release, where we we very very quickly got, uh, and I think in about six weeks we got to about ninety eight percent of the install base, and then and then got all the way to one hundred percent in short order thereafter. Um, so the the table was really designed to, to to help address that situation where it was taking a long time and people were anxious and wanted to know for those big releases, and those were those were fairly significant. Uh, Mango certainly um, feature releases. We're at the point now where we're delivering maintenance releases that have firmware updates that in some cases target only a specific device. Um, uh, and, we're, and we're doing bug fixes and, and so forth. Um, these are not big feature releases. That in conjunction with the, the growth in our portfolio of, of the phone operator pairings makes this matrix very, very big and kind of unwieldy. And it is true that not every update will go to every phone. So um, for these kind of maintenance releases, um we're uh're we're, we're going away from publishing that table it 's something that we can revisit in the future but i think if we 're uh if we 're doing the job that we did on on mango where um the you know the virtually the entire install base gets that updated in very short order uh then there 's really less need for that uh, that table to begin with so
1: okay okay that 's interesting now um, w- one of the other areas that there 's not so much information uh, around is the um, the the next update which it's been said is is uh, uh, targeted at being able to um, bring lower end devices to market um, under the name tango um, and the the things that i that i 've heard um, this week commented on almost suggest that that 's a little bit of a um, a different release to what 's on these phones, so that our current phones aren 't going to get uh, tango, but there'll be a slightly modified version um, that is targeting those um, those lower end devices under that tango. Um, code name. does that mean there's sort of a slight split in the code? What can you uh, um, get away with commenting on on there? I know you're reasonably lo- locked down on uh, these sorts of topics
7: yeah well I, um, there's certainly a lot of speculation about about what what's going to happen and we haven't uh, we haven't made a lot of official comment on on our roadmap but what what we have talked about is, is, in general, the idea of expanding the, the market applicability, the market reach of, of the Windows Phone platform, and, and that goes in a couple of dimensions. It, it means um, in new regions, in new languages, um, support for new network technologies that, that are required globally, so we'll continue to do that. Um, and I, I can't get into any specifics on the delivery vehicle uh, or the timing of, of that. Um, but to suffice it to say that we're going to continue to enhance the regional availability the language support uh... the network technology supported um, in the platform and at the same time we've also talked about the idea that will uh, will increase the span of hardware capability of hardware support uh... including support for things like the qualcomm seven x twenty seven microprocessor which enables uh... lower cost devices because of its uh... lower bill of materials there so um, I think it's it's those two things are true. We'll expand regional language network support. We'll expand the, the, the range of uh of market segments that we uh that we address with our portfolio. Um the the delivery vehicles I don't have details on for yet this time, but we'll we can uh, uh get into that more as we get closer. Um and then I think what's really important to keep in mind that the, the Windows Phone experience and the, the the user interface and the promise that we make when uh, uh, when we put the Windows logo on it is that it's going to have this core set of experiences. It's going to have the People Hub. It's going to have Xbox Live built in. It's going to have all the great apps in the marketplace, um, and you really won't have any sacrifices. Um, even if you even if you got buy a phone that's that's say today we've got phones for forty nine dollars and in some cases on special are are available for free. Uh, we'll continue to have an affordable range of phones and some really kind of high-powered phones at the higher end of the market. What's different about our platform, though, is is you don't make a lot of compromises. You don't give up uh, a tremendous amount when you get a phone at the lower end that, that was more affordable. You still have a great core user experience. You, don't, you may not ha- have all the hardware characteristics. Your camera doesn't have, have as, uh, it's not as high resolution. Your screen is smaller. Um, but the core experience is the same, which is why we'll put our, our free phone or our, our $49 phone up against the competition and compare very, very favorably. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll expand the reach, yeah. we'll expand the regions, we'll expand the languages, uh, and then we'll expand the market segments that we address as well. Okay
1: now now that you've you've i guess knocked off really most of the um you know most of the shortcomings that um the core windows phone has, has sort of had you know there the, there's lots of apps out there now I think over fifty thousand um you know probably the most notable exception is is Skype which is really in your hands to uh and microsoft and 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 skype's hands together to uh um to do that but but in theory with the acquisition that should move along a little bit quicker um but there, there are you know some other shortcomings on that, and you know you were talking about international. You know we, we don't have Zoom services in probably the majority of markets where uh, where Windows phones are available. Um, although you know Zoom video is probably moved along quicker than than the music. Uh, there's no podcast access. I think probably outside of the US, which. To me, has always seemed like a bizarre one because there should be no regional limitations around podcasts or, or, or copyright issues. Do you think those um, those uh, internationalisation type uh, things are going to start moving a lot quicker uh, now that you've got so so many other things out of the way? Would we expect to see a bit of sort of acceleration of progress in those areas? yeah I think there 's a, a several reasons for that num- one of which
7: is is what you just described i think also um, as we uh, as we continue to expand and, and have a greater presence internationally in regions that we even aren 't in today, um, that will continue to become a higher priority for us so one of, the, one of the reasons that the the Nokia deal in particular was so exciting for us is, is because of their expertise and presence internationally. Um, it was exciting for them because uh, with, with the partnership with us, I think they felt they had a really good chance to, to kind of reestablish in the United States and in North America. But I think um, their presence and their expertise internationally um, is going to help accelerate um, our presence and our, our regional uh, appeal outside of the U.S. So one of the things that... Um, uh, we'll be working closely with them, and is how do we how do we make available all of the services and all of the features that make a Windows Phone so compelling um, in regions all around the world. So that that will become a higher priority.
1: Cool, that's excellent. Anything else you can add about what uh, what exciting things we should uh, we should be expecting from Windows Phone over the uh, um, coming year?
7: Well, I. I uh I think this is a great start to 2012. These uh, these two phones that we announced here at CES, with the Lumia uh, 900 uh, winning Best of CES in the smartphone category, and the HTC Titan II just really uh, blowing people's minds with its with its screen and its and its camera. Um, it's really a, a harbinger of good things to come. This is going to be an exciting year for us, and we look forward to a lot more uh, excitement and great new devices and support for the platform. Uh, Nokia's got some really great stuff coming. All of our partners are are really bringing their A-game, and um, we're, uh, we're really pleased to see that. So it's an exciting year. I know there's been a lot of... Um, Anticipation of uh, more information on, on the the roadmap and future releases, and uh, you know we've got folks in in Redmond and, and in our R and D facilities around the world hard at work um, building those uh, those future products. And as we're as we're ready and as as the time is right, we'll uh, we'll look forward to, to sitting down
1: with you and, and getting into more detail on that. So yeah, that was interesting chatting with, with Greg. I guess one of the one of the challenges I found at at CES were that Microsoft and a lot of the other vendors were quite locked down in terms of the things that they could talk about. So I I wasn't very successful in sort of squeezing uh, confidential and non-announced information out out of too many people. I'm afraid, uh, but still good to have that uh, have that chance to uh, to chat and to get some insights. Now. What we're moving on to next is really a wrap up of CES and uh, one of the, one of the uh, cool things at CES is just the, um, the sheer uh, presence of people from the industry and also a lot of the key uh, media players. And so we had uh we had guys there really from all of the big um online magazines and print magazines, podcasts, TV, they they were all there. Now, one of the uh, one of the guys I've really in- enjoyed uh, hearing from in terms of commentary and so on online uh, reviews and and podcasts uh, in recent years is uh, Joshua Topolsky, who was uh, involved with heading up uh, Engadget's uh, content in the past, and uh, recently over the last sort of uh, probably six to nine months has moved away from there, and they've uh, recently launched The Verge. So um, let's now dive into a little chat that I had uh, following a little after-party that was put on by um, by the guys from uh, The Verge uh, after at the end of CES. Uh, this is a chat with uh, Joshua Topolsky, and uh, partway through, uh, Nilay Patel uh, joins in as well. You guys have been here all week, heaps of coverage. Um, What's been the most entertaining um, attempts at new technology and so on you've seen here, man?
8: Uh, Well, I don't know. It's hard to say how this falls under the, if this falls under the entertaining banner. But the Justin Bieber robot, which doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. It's like a dancing, it's not a Bieber bot. It's just a a robot he's endorsing. uh, Is bizarre and sort of pointless. It's got a speaker at its crotch. Uh, and uh, I don't know what the market is for it. But I know they must have paid him $20 million to, to come here and promote it. Um, and we've seen a lot of celebrity endorsements, like yep. Dennis Rodman, really kind of C-list people here.
0: Yeah, what's the that stuff I about?
8: I don't know. I mean, I, I think that the technology industry is very impressed with, if you have if you've, if, any celebrity at all, it seems like we get pretty crazy about it. Um, and, and CES, you definitely see some of the... Um, inter- more interesting Like Snooki What is Snooki promoting? What has she been promoting? Doesn't she have a show?
0: No Isn't she, she here promoting
8: something? I don't like know. earphones Or an um, uh, MP3 player Or Oh I don't know Snooki is a She's not a person She's a concept <laughs> She's a, she's a virtual no She's a virtualized Yeah She's a hologram She's a
4: world's Snooki is actually a hologram avatar.
8: You might not know this But uh, <laughs> she's being projected Into every space she enters um, They were just trying to find Something that could be That would look weird enough That it wouldn't mess up Mess with the uncanny valley So <laughs> Yeah They, they made Snooky. Yeah <laughs> It looks vaguely human they, So they sympathize said, with and it And they sent Snooki to CES <laughs> to, to be vaguely creepy And, and yeah. vaguely human I, I don't know. What else? There's, I can't yeah, think of you know, anything other
1: big of. fails? What about some of the 3D TV stuff? Some of that sort fail, of thing. Fail. Utter fail.
8: I'm not going to name names. I saw some 3D TVs. I, I, you know what? Ah, screw it. I'll name names. I went to the Toshiba booth. They're fine people. They make some fine products. But these no glass, the glassless 3D. You see the circles? At the yeah, 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 yeah. The glassless 3 D I couldn't wait that one out. It just looks bad. It doesn't yeah. look good. It looks like a pixelated, like, nauseating mess. Uh, and I don't understand how they don't see that. I know it's a gimmick they're trying to sell a TV, but I think we could do better as an industry.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, sure they guys went around and had a look at the other 3D uh, I lo- stuff. I mean, I looked at the, all of them. The, the yeah. Yeah. Didn't seem to- Failures them. And
8: the other, the other fails are, I think, um, motion and voice control television, particularly the voice-controlled one, because I don't know what scenario... I don't know where you're going to be, you know, particularly if you have a family,
1: yeah.
8: in a perfectly quiet room to issue voice commands to your television. Also, it seems incredibly inefficient.
1: Well, it's hard enough for Microsoft to deliver and They've been working on it for years, right, with even, all, even, their, all yeah. their cameras. You look at Mi- then Mi- you've got these other guys that have
8: come from nowhere and going, yeah, we're doing voice. Yeah, yeah. It. and Ooh. you look at the biggest players, Microsoft and Apple and Google. And they're just getting started with doing this stuff. And they're, and they're doing they're, it on their highest and they're, and they're investing. real connectivity, yeah. real processors. So they're making acquisitions and investing tons of money, and, and, and they still don't have it. And they, Yeah, they, and so to do it on TV with, like, uh, no processor, yeah. no real connectivity, they're never going to get there. It's very it's sad state of affairs. Time. But there was some cool stuff. There was I definitely like, some cool stuff. I like the, Android, like the Android TV box on an HDMI stick or MHL stick rather which is like hey I've got an entire Android phone in here I stick it in my TV and now I can play games or watch Netflix or whatever I think we're not quite there yet but I love the idea of removing all cables and just having it stick in the side of the television or better yet well the problem with, with integrated is that it's always a worse experience so I'm excited about that and you know the Lumia 900 is pretty nice
1: yeah, I I mean, that was the that was the thing of the a show. Isn't there that's coming that's gonna the Roku is going to do same it. Way. It's MHL,
8: same idea. Yeah. Uh, but um, but in terms of products that were good, I, you didn't ask, but I'm telling you anyhow. Huh. Yeah, no. You I have no hear. choice in this matter. No, I think we <laughs> widely agree the Lumia 900 is, is yeah. you know it's going to be the first. I think people are going to take it really seriously for Windows Phone here. It's a beautiful phone. Um, we'll see how they, if they can penetrate. It's going to be hard now. So it are you really, going to use
1: one? Are you going to try one? Enough? As soon
8: as I get a review unit, I'll, I'll happily... I want to. I mean, I've used Windows Phone devices. It, this is not wildly different than any other Windows Phone device, but it's LTE. Uh, it's you know destined for America, um, and it's got a bigger display, which is nice. You know, So we'll see. Uh, I still have some issues with the apps. Still, that, I think, is still out there. But I felt that way about Android a, a year or two ago. And now, I think Android is a stellar platform. They still have app issues, but not nearly where they were. I think, so I think they'll get there. Uh, but the Vizio stuff was a big surprise, and I think a good surprise. Yeah. All the Ultrabooks were good, because we want lighter, longer-lasting, better-made laptops. Um, and that's... Yeah, the thing about the Ultrabooks that's interesting is that it took Intel to say, we're doing it this way. Yeah. We, we, you have It's time. The industry didn't do it on its own. Intel pushed him to do it. Yeah, and I... Go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I was just going to say, what well, the interesting thing is that, you know, speaking about Intel is that, and I think the story, the unwritten story as of yet, though I, maybe I shouldn't say anything, is the this, this subtle swap we're seeing in the industry now. And you heard me talking about it a little bit yeah. uh, with Greg from Microsoft, um, of Intel becoming an Android platform, right? Android chips. And, and suddenly ARM is now for Windows, so, you're seeing this swap of roles, and I don't know where that lands. Like, I don't know the end, the end of that story yet. I yeah, think it's, it's really clear, interesting. It? Well, well I mean, the, it, they're so both it. trying to be in the other one's space, and now you see yeah. a company like Qualcomm who can play in the Windows space, and that changes a lot. Changes yeah. a lot, changes I mean, the devices. Intel crisis. hasn't had
1: a real competitor for seven I mean, years. They've had
8: AMD, but they've been kind of rolling along in the background.
1: They did it right there for a while, I and mean, then they just did. Yeah. Yeah.
8: Like, yeah, they made a lot of, no, they yeah. made just a lot of, you know, the delays, and they had yeah. some issues with chips, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, AMD has been a competitor, but
8: not not such a visceral competitor. I mean, Intel has threatened... Well, they were visceral ARM. at one point. They were in the game, and then they, were, they lost the game.
1: Yeah, but I don't think, well, I don't um, think they've been um, in the game um, It must have the most promise, because we've seen Windows um, come to other platforms. No, 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 and no, the, gone by, Yeah, right? the, the thing with yeah, the ARM... They were on PowerPC at one point. It was yeah, like, but the,
8: yeah, they've done crazy stuff, yeah. The thing with ARM is that uh, it's widespread. It speaks to the devices we're using now. You know, ARM is of the moment in every way, shape, and form. Uh, so when you start to think about where the, where Windows goes in that environment, it changes what you think of Windows in general.
1: Well, every Windows system wants to be lower power, right. wants all of the things. Well, enough, I, think Microsoft, the I think
8: Microsoft's and, goal is yeah. to say, like, this isn't the Windows you know. Um, you take it out as a tablet, you do everything you do with an iPad. You take it home, you dock, you do everything you do with a Windows PC. And that t- device will be attractive for a lot of people, I think.
1: cool well that was good to it was good to get some other uh, other thoughts and 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 opinions really around uh, uh the the highs and lows i guess of of cs it's it's such a crazy show that no one person can really can catch it all and so that's why we've plugged in and interviewed uh during the uh the four podcasts we've done around cs we've plugged into a lot of other people for their comments so um yeah i hope that's been helpful how, how have you found, um, you know, hearing about CES uh, from from New Zealand, Brad? What what are, what are your thoughts? Look, I mean, I, I really enjoyed
2: the Joshua one. I, I think he pulled together an exact sort of uh, picture of what CES was about this year. I mean, Justin Bieber robot speaker thing was hilarious, you know. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's great. I love listening to Joshua. He's a very very interesting man. But from this side of the world, it just felt really ho hum. And I think we spoke about this when we were on, um, talking to you in, in Vegas. It just there was a bit, a bit of flatness coming out of it. Um, I think from my perspective Ultrabooks dominated all the media reports with um a close second Windows Phone 7 this time around for me was seen to get a lot of positive media whether it's going to take off we a- don't know
1: Absolutely and and that w- that was what I saw most of the you know the biggest media attention was really around uh, Nokia's announcements yeah. on Windows Phone those were the big things and you know I was seeing top 10 lists and a lot of media coverage highlighting the best of CS and a lot of those right at the top was Nokia with their uh, Lumia nine hundred Windows phone. There were also the announcements around the HTC Titan two. Yep. Uh, those were you know, I saw both of those phones often in the top ten of C E S. So this is a, I mean I think that's a real coup for Microsoft to have landed Windows phone in this space where now, hey, people were saying this is the best of the best that was that was at the show. And, you know, if we look back at the introduction of Windows Phone, everyone said, yeah, this looks nice and it's beautiful, etc. But it didn't really get a whole lot of attention, whereas now it's it's at that place where I think it's ready for the mass market. And really, we saw that in terms of the attention at, at CES that it gained.
2: All right. So for me, one of the biggest fails from what I've read about CES has been all the 3D stuff. Um, I, I, I'm still not a fan of 3D. I, I know we've you and I have debated this one off air quite a bit, but I'm still not there that it's a... It's something that I'm going to go out and purchase on my next TV.
1: Well, well the, and the discussion we've had on it before is, is for the foreseeable future, you, if you've got a 3D setup, the 3D content you watch will only ever be a very – well, will only for the foreseeable future be a low percentage of the content that you view. Yep, exactly. So, you know, you've got a way up whether what the value is in doing that. And there, there's always going to be a sector of our audience uh, and, and of the market that will want to have the latest and greatest so but, what for you though was the biggest fail of the whole ces come, ooh, on, you, come that, on that's a, that is a that's a really good question i think you know for for me one of the one of the letdowns and we, you know we knew this up front was that microsoft didn't have a whole lot of new stuff to show at ces uh that that was a i think that was a that was a pity but yeah, as I've said before, Microsoft said up front, "Look, we're not announcing new products at CES, and so they weren't a lot. They weren't able to show off uh, a whole lot of stuff. But on the flip side of that, what we did get to see was a sneak peek at what appeared to be some of the new Windows 8 devices. But the vendors weren't able to say. And you know, again, we saw some really cool devices from the the likes of um, Sony and um, Toshiba." Uh, and And others actually not to not to sheba, I might have got that one wrong, um but yeah, we saw some nice devices that are that are coming through uh that are likely to be windows eight devices so um yeah i I was hopeful to see more info, but you know we knew that the chances were reasonably uh reasonably slim on that there was I guess Android had a lot of presence at CS. was interesting. Just there were devices all over the place uh, from all sorts of obscure manufacturers from the likes of Kobe and um, Hire. um, Hire had had their little um, HiPads, they called them. I thought that name was was an absolute fail. (laughs) It was just what a joke. Uh, But yeah, so there there was all sorts of stuff. And yes, some of those some of those android devices were just so poor that you know they talked about high end specs and then you try them out and they were really laggy um so yeah there there were, i guess there was a lot of sort of cheaper products across the show floor that were just not up to the the fit and the finish of what the bigger vendors are delivering and i guess that's one of the um that's that's one of the the issues that exists with um you know, making making a product for you know available to a broad audience without drawing lines around specifications and having a whole lot of standards around how things are built. Now, one last product that I did come across out at um, at CES that I haven't mentioned before. Now
2: he's reaching into his pocket. He's going to show now, me something here. Now
1: I'm reaching into my pocket to see if I can find the photos that I took. Now this is a new brand that is coming out of get this australia so this is a product from down under and the the company is this this waterproofing one that you're going on about no this this is something different this is a company that is releasing gonna release pcs laptops and tablets so it's a new pc vendor now how often did new PC vendors come along? Not too often, unless they're, you know, a little yeah. company out of uh you know, Taiwan or, or China or something. So um yeah, I got to have a look at some of their, their early and pre release products which were actually looking uh, were looking pretty cool. So just give me a moment and I'm gonna tell you what the name of them is? It's, it's interesting that I mean someone like Australia is actually going to start
2: producing because I mean you have your little white box manufacturers in every country, but if these guys are going to go
1: a little bit larger than that, that's quite a big that's a big step for the um, Australian area. Yeah. So what's uh, what's going to happen in this case is the products are going to be produced in Taiwan, um, although but they're all being designed in in Australia, and they've got they've got an engineering team in Taiwan as well. One of the things I found fascinating was they said they originally looked at Chinese manufacturing because the bulk of of these things is um, you know has moved over the last ten years from being made in Taiwan to being made in uh, in China. Uh, but what they found was that the the quality of the product made in china just wasn't uh wasn't up there with the um with what was made in taiwan which, which was fascinating so the uh, the company name i was looking for is evolve 3 and their um evolve triple I.com is the uh the website and yeah have a have a look there one of the things that i was quite impressed by was their um their tablet now at the moment that was uh, i think running um, a pre-release version of windows 8 And it was 560 grams. Wow. And they're saying when it comes out, it's going to be lower. Now, this is an Intel-based device. I think it's Atom-based. And they are more than likely also going to be bringing ARM devices to the market, and those should be able to bring that down even more. So... um, yeah, very nice devices. Great to see something coming uh new coming out into the market down under and we'll be looking forward to hearing more of their story and we'll probably get our hands on with some of their products over the over the next couple of months as well. So that's CES, Paul. You've done it. That's it. That's a wrap. Uh there are a few other bits and pieces and topics which which we'll chat about on on you know, coming shows yeah. that that have come out of CES and some of the other questions that, that you even raised uh during CES at uh that i'll try and answer and and uh you know we'll keep in touch with some of these companies as well for um for more during the year excellent hey thanks everyone for listening in um to all, all i hope and i hope you caught all four of our episodes on uh, on ces if i've got that right um about four episodes maybe more um man losing count now uh please check us out online if uh, if you haven't already nztechpodcast.com of course we're facebook.com slash nztechpodcast or if you're listening in one of our American guests listening in it'll be nztechpodcast that's so bad (laughs) Um, and uh, twitter nztechpodcast on twitter so uh, thanks very much everyone do email us as well if you've got feedback feedback at nztechpodcast.com now you can catch Brad on twitter your handle is at Brad Bore. And my handle, just my name, Paul Spain. So uh, thanks, thanks everyone. And we'll catch you on the next episode of the NZ Tech Podcast. See you, everyone. Bye. Bye.